welcome to the Friendly Aussie Podcast. Welcome to the Friendly Aussie Podcast. And today we have Dr. John Tay from PlantMed Australia, uh, one of the leading cannabis experts uh, in prescribing medicinal cannabis in Australia. Uh, we've brought him on today to kind of have a chat a little bit about the medicinal scheme, a little bit about his background, and just to inform our audience, who is predominantly a recreational audience, a little bit about uh, medicinal cannabis, maybe if it's, uh, it can apply to them, and just kind of go from there. What's going Hi, on, John? G'day. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really nice to be here. Thank you. Lovely to have you. Uh, so, 2016 comes around, and you were one of the first doctors on the scene to kind of get interested in mm -hmm. prescribing cannabis. What brought you to there? Like, where was your interest developed from in cannabis? Was that an early thing? Um, and how did you come to be the great Dr. Tay? <laughs> oh, you're too kind. Thank you very much. Well, you know, cannabis is always something which has been around. I mean, it's around in life. And... Uh, university, of course, it, it sort of floated past me, as so to speak, um, but really wasn't a major part of my life uh, until later on. And so after university, I started my doctoring career and I was doing a totally different path of medicine. And a family friend of mine, a young lady that came called Nikki, she was 21 years old, came to me just after her 21st birthday where she'd had to be taken in for an emergency brain surgery um, for a really bad type of cancer called GBM. Um, which is very deadly. And she didn't know what to do. Uh, she heard that medicinal cannabis was a thing and she knew that you know, I was a doctor and she came to us for, and my wife for advice. Um, and that was just pre-legalization. So I've been following medicinal cannabis. I've been researching it. You know, there's a lot of work overseas, obviously, for decades. And we started to develop a, re a regime for her, but it was obviously based out of the, what I like to call green market or compassionate market in Australia for medicinal mm -hmm. cannabis. So it was, you know, via the Nimbin connections, uh, as a lot of these things are. And um, we helped her out a lot. Unfortunately, she did pass after a few years, but she had an extended lifetime and uh, much reduced suffering, you know, in, those, in that time. She got to spend it with her family and it wasn't until right at the end where she was like, I've had enough, it's time to go. And it was well past the time where she should have technically gone. Mm. But the struggle with that really got to me. You know, there was times where she would run out of medicine because it was just not available because the supply was, you know, not constant. Uh, we weren't sure of the strength or what strains we were getting. We just yeah. got, you know, a random brown paste in a tube. And, and that really hurt me to see someone suffering. And... Um, not being able to access something which was so, you know, good for her. And it was right at the beginning, as we progressed through looking after her, cannabis became legalized in Australia. And I actually was a little bit naive at about how to apply in those days. And I applied for her to help fix her cancer, which obviously isn't something we're allowed to um, prescribe cannabis for, to fix cancer, because we can't provide evidence of that. And so, you know, I went through that process and it was a learning process for me as well in that stage, mm. um, filling out paper forms to get medicines. Uh, well, I was rejected multiple times and it, it really frustrated and made me angry that people couldn't access this really safe, really amazing medicine. Um, I really, I was probably going to retire and grow veggies in the hills. I'm, I'm really into <laughs> permaculture and I've got a property and I was planning on just having a kid. Well, my wife was actually pregnant at the time. Um, before any of this occurred and in the process of birthing that child we birthed plant med as well <laughs> uh, it was almost accidental we had some you know altruistic investors um, who have we've since bought out um, because they had other things that they wanted to do and that led into plant med so now we've got thousands and thousands of patients which we help daily and yeah that's how i got here really in the cannabis industry and been here since the start um was one of the first handful of doctors to have an approval. Um, and back in 2016, an approval might take a month or two or more to get approved. Um, you had to write on paper with a pen, oh, wow. fax it or mail it into Queensland Health and the TGA before getting a dual approval back. Whoa. And that process could take a long time. And the medicines at that stage were very expensive. Uh, medicines now, which might be costing about two or three hundred dollars, will six hundred dollars plus for some in wow. some times. I remember um, ounces mm. um, back then were like people were 
talking about twelve hundred plus dollars. Yeah, flour wasn't readily available back back at the start either. There was yeah. available, but it was more really oils that were yeah. being utilized because mm. um, you know, the medicinal market's different to the recreational market in that sense. People aren't looking to smoke cannabis; they're looking to fix their ills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely been a massive uptick in uh, flour use in the medicinal yeah. market now. Obviously, at the beginning of the you know scene and the scheme, it would have been one of those things where there weren't that many product options, maybe limited. Mm. Uh, options available but how how do you think that's changed since 2016 oh massively yeah um yeah there would have been yeah like you say a handful of products i mean there was one company initially yeah right and we won't say any names but you know they only had a few products in australia at that time imported um fast forward to now i think there's you know yeah there's over 150 listed products on the tga um not all of them good uh, yeah, but right. a lot of them very good, and um, the choice is much much wider now. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a large selection of oils, um, alcohol based um, oral medications. You've of course got your flour. Yeah, there's even you know some concentrate which has just entered the market as well. Okay. Um, there's sublingual sprays. Yeah, great. Um, wafers which are designed to dissolve through the mouth. Oh, yeah, wow. so there's a lot of products and. Uh, you know, if you go to a doctor and they've just only got the one type of product, you should say, mm-hmm. well, why? Um, mm-hmm. There should be a bit more selection. Why are you offering me only this one type of product? Right. Yeah. Why is it that a doctor would only offer a Well, I think it's education. Uh, okay. And sometimes uh, doctors are approached by uh, people in the industry, uh, producers and their representatives, um, sure. which will help them get their authorization authorized prescriber status yeah right meaning they can just write a script for certain products that makes sense um but then those doctors often haven't been educated in cannabis generally Mm. and all the other medicines so they just stick with what they can just write a script with and not have the hassle um that makes sense the admin side of things sure yeah i mean a lot of doctors would be um focused on other things primarily right yeah well i think a gp in their general practice wouldn't have much enough time Mm. to you know, do a, ca- a proper cannabis consult as I would do one. Fair enough. Um, they're under a lot of time pressure and simply the paperwork alone would probably take up your 15 minutes of yeah. consult time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's something that at PlantMed we really focus on is we have a, a lot of time put aside with our patients. Yeah. You know, we, we spend 45 minutes to an hour in that first consultation, really that's talking great. to the patient, finding out what they need, what their experience is, what their ailments are, and how we can help them in the best way, not just a cookie cutter, sort of one size fits all approach. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where Plant Med comes in. It's like the personalized approach to, you know, authorizing and prescribing yourself through the TGA program. Is that kind of what you guys kind do? Kind of, yeah. We, we consider ourselves specialists. Okay, um, we great. get referrals from GPs and we get referrals, referrals from medical specialists like neurologists, psychiatrists, paediatricians. So, you know, you can go to your GP, uh, but once you're outside of their knowledge range, they will refer you on. Mm. Uh, And that's where we position ourselves. Yeah, We we, we like to think that we've got that little bit extra skill and knowledge to really help people in a more personalized way because cannabis medicine is so personalized. You know, it's not just have this one-to-one oil, Mm. have a meal once a day and you'll be fine. No. That, that's not going to work, yeah, you know. Right, right. So, you know, if someone comes in and they are an experienced recreational user or, you know, it's a very fine line, isn't it, it between is. recreation yeah, it and, and medication. The only difference is that most rec users don't know a thing about dosage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually dosage is a bit high in the recreational market, perhaps. But, you know, th- that's a really something that needs to be taken into consideration. If you come to Plant Med uh, and you, you are a recreational cannabis user or you're using cannabis, you know, to self-medicate, whatever you're choice of terminology mm. that's taken into consideration yeah, you know cool. we're not going to give you a cbd only medication right. if you're already smoking 15 bongs a day for instance <laughs> so it, it does point. change the perspective of yeah. how we treat people for sure yeah cool. it's um one of those interesting things when you talk to people who are very much on the rec side and they talk about you know getting dank strains with high thc and um how they need to smoke maybe 15 bonds in that one day and it's like how much cbd are you taking and it's like none and then you start to go well if you maybe took some cbd maybe you wouldn't need the 15 bongs Mm. yeah Yeah. i mean there's that there's that definitely the cbd component um i'm a really big believer in cbd Mm -hmm. um i do take cbd myself i find it's really important it it supports our bodies naturally it's to me it's a nutraceutical to me it's a supplement 
right? Like, yeah, it's a supplement. It's something that prevents disease, mm -hmm. but it has a lot of other benefits. You know, yeah. CBD will um, keep our circulating anandamide yeah. in circulation for longer. So it, the enzyme which breaks down our natural cannabinoid, our main one in our body, it's inhibited by CBD. So that means that mm -hmm. anandamide will stay in circulation longer. It, it reduces the... Um, negative high effects of yeah, THC, yeah, which say. is a really big one. You know, in the recreational market, I'm sure you've all got friends out there who are just that little bit edgy, that little bit um, manic, fast, anxious all the time. Mm -hmm. And often that's a result of excessive THC consumption yeah. without right. balancing CBD. Right. So yeah. at Plant Med, um, you're all welcome to come in and see us but realize that you will be given CBD when you come to see us because it's an important part of the plant. Yeah. And it's been bred out over the last 100 years because people want the highest possible THC for that uh, psychoactive effect. But in fact, as everyone knows, CBD's come back in with massive popularity. I actually um, I had the, the weird honor of finding out that there's CBD flower, CBD buds, you know, across the TGA platform. And it's They're made me want to join because the idea of CBD buds really excites me. CBD buds, yeah. I mean, you obviously don't get a high effect when you smoke them or vaporize them. You know, they're um, one, the ones, there's a few available. One of them is about 14% CBD, 1% THC. And there's some also some balanced strains coming in, not balanced yeah. between indica and sativa, but balanced between um, CBD and THC. Yeah. So uh, because of the way plants grow, they're usually not as potent as your high THC varieties. Mm. So one of the ways in which I will use that Eve, uh, a CBD flower is to mix it in with your high THC flower. So you're eventually creating your own more potent, um, balanced CBD THC hybrids. Yeah, that's uh, what I personally do. Yeah, yeah, so you just sort of mix a bit in and it just takes away the edginess. Mm -hmm. um, CBD will also extend the duration of your THC um, high yeah, right. because it will reduce the uh, breakdown by an enzyme in the liver called cytochrome P450 of THC itself. So that enzyme breaks down THC uh, and CBD will slow down the activity of that enzyme. So you're getting extended duration of action from your um, CBD. So is addition. that kind of why uh, it, does, it does feel like it kind of makes your THC weaker because it slows down the uptake? Is that kind of the process? There's a couple of ways. Yeah. So. It makes your THC last longer because it won't get broken down as quickly. CBD binds what's called allosterically to the cannabis receptors in our body. That means on the side of, so it doesn't fill the cleft up. When CBD binds to our cannabis receptors, it slightly changes the way they're structured. And that slightly changes the way that the THC can lock in. And that reduces a little bit of that, what I call the anxious more cerebral high, um, which can happen, especially with sativa varieties, yeah. cannabis. So especially with sativas, you know, a lot of people, um, they, they think they love sativas, but I'll actually won't give them a sativa on purpose until I've stabilized them, you know, as from a medical point of view, because there's no point giving someone what they've already tried a million times and getting the same result, anxiety and a, you know, uncomfortable situation. Sure. So I'll often slow people down, reintroduce a hybrid, and then once, I'm happy, I'll then you know, send them back to sativas. So one, one big thing when you come to see um, plant med is sometimes you don't get what you want, you get what you need. Mm -hmm. And um, some people don't like that. Yeah. And they can stay in the recreational market. You know, I think you know, that's, that, if that's what you want, that's fine. You go do it. But in the medical market, something different. You're paying for someone's expertise. Yeah. And it's foolish not to take advice from them. Yeah, that's, that's a big one, isn't it? Um, because we all know smokers who have maybe even been smoking for like 30 years and, you know, they regard themselves as, quote, experts. But how much do they actually know behind the science and the actual way of applying it medicinally? Of course, you know, maybe how to grow it, how to smoke it, like all of that. But there's a lot more behind it, as you've just kind of explained. Yeah. One thing that I think is kind of interesting, we've talked about CBD, THC, but we don't talk about any of the other compounds yet in Australia. Like we haven't talked about CBN or I think it's CBG yeah. and all of this. THCA is a big one for some people. Um, and it's kind of, I don't know, maybe borderline frustrating on my end to just see, we've got this medicinal program, but this is all we're kind of looking at. And it's the whole plant is, there's so much more to it. Um, 
Yeah. Do you see that changing in the near future or is that a while away? No, that's already changed. And it's just um, transmission of knowledge, actually. Yeah. You know, most people haven't heard of the minor cannabinoids. That's a, yeah, right. so cannabigerol, cannabichromine. Um, there's over 144 <laughs> minor cannabinoids. That we know of. That we know of. That's right. That have been so far isolated. Yeah, the two main ones are THC and CBD. They're the big ones. They're the ones that have the main effect. But those other minor cannabinoids definitely do change the subtle effects of the cannabis, as does the terpene profile. And I think the terpene profile may be more important, perhaps, yeah. than some of these minor cannabinoids. But we don't need to judge more or less because they all need to be there. And that's why we, we at Plant Med at least believe in whole plant medicines. We don't use isolates. Except in extenuating circumstances like, you know, if you're a truck driver in a mine yeah. and you, you can't you take can't THC, it's not an option for you. Mm -hmm. So um, when we look at the information that the suppliers give us as doctors, they do provide sheets that have, you know, often terpene analysis and minor cannabinoid analysis, as well as, you know, analysis for... Um, fungal spores, bacteria, excess growth mediums. You know, we don't have any PGR problems in in um, medicinal cannabis because these products all are tested for residues of growth. You know, right. and if they're incorrectly flushed, well, that will show up as a chemical that's not meant to be in the plant, mm. and that will throw them out, of, and they'll have to redo that. So, plant med does say fuck PGR <laughs> in in more polite terms, but yes, we agree <laughs> with that. We do agree with that. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are. I've seen. Um, one site, at least, I think it's called Rate My Medicine, yeah, yeah. Um, where somehow information from, you know, th these terpene profiles and sort of things have been you know, uploaded by the public when they've received the information from their doctor. And so there is that information out there to have a look mm -hmm. at. That's great. And when you're looking at, you know, we always talk indica and sativa, that's definitely a recreational term. When we're looking medically, there's actually sort of a an academic argument going on yeah. whether those terms are even relevant right you know is there indica is there a sativa or are we just different i mean they're definitely different types of plants right like definitely. they grow differently but are the effects actually what they translate into you know i think on the ground yes they are and i definitely attribute you know uplifting to sativa mm -hmm. sleepy or somnolent to indicas um, but so, is it their terpene profile, right? Well, that's right. That's the argument that it's about terpene profile. Mm. And so, for instance, there's I'm one... I'm kind of sitting on that side of the argument these days because I'll have a, an indica and it will affect me completely different to another indica. And it's the same with the sativa. I can have one sativa, it'll affect me completely different to another sativa. Exactly right. And that is to do with terpene profile and also the background breeding, you know, so the indica sativa ratio. So you can have a full indica or you can have a 30% sativa 70% indica yeah. in the breeding right. but really that's referring to the terpene profile True. so when you're looking at indicas you're looking at your heavier terpenes or more sleepy muscle relaxing terpenes so you got your myrcene from mangoes mm -hmm. um you got your beta caryophylline mm -hmm. um you got your sort of more earthy flavors in there mm -hmm. Um, that give you the couch lock sort of feeling, that muscle relaxation, right? Cool. And then when, uh, limonene, uh, not limonene, um, linalool. Linalool is another sort of more indica-style terpene. Mm -hmm. Then on the other side, you've got your limonene, so your lemons, um, mm -hmm. that citrusy, citrusy fresh smell. Um, you've got your pinene. So you've got, you got these... Um, terpenes which are more uplifting so you know you imagine walking through a pine forest yeah. norska fresh lovely i feel invigorated you know yeah. and one little trick for you know the recreational medicinal user is myrcene it's a great one in australia we've got an unlimited supply of mangoes <laughs> if you have a mango half an hour before you yes. have your yes. um cannabis you'll get an increased you know couch lock effect out of an indica because so put it, will, it in your smoothie yeah it'll put it in your smoothie it'll exaggerate that that yeah. feeling so yeah it is really important and, and i'm a big believer in it and at plant med our doctors are trained to assess them for you essentially so you come in and you say you know i i know i need this well <laughs> the doctor will talk to you see what you really need yeah. and then prescribe you appropriately yeah and that's kind of what you pay for you know that's yeah. the reason you specialist do specialist knowledge right yeah do you go to um a GP to go get your wrist reassembled, you know? Like that's right. You go to a surgeon. You, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's there's right. a lot to consider, especially because every single human being, we've all got different physical, mental, environmental conditions going on. I think like it's the, 
like you said, the job of experts and of professionals to really consider all of those complex mm. um, con- like conditions, I guess. And, and it's like our fingerprint, you know, our endocannabinoid system, which we all have, um, all mammals have, everything down to the sea cucumber has, insects yeah. don't have. Um, <laughs> truffle rice. mushrooms, in- interestingly, do have an endocannabinoid wow. system, so Fungus maybe that's why they are so valued amazing. and they are... S- they're kind of intoxicating when you take them. Yeah. But, you know, our endocannabinoid systems are unique. Mm-hmm. And how we are made up depends how we can uh, accept and use cannabis. And some people will... It doesn't matter how big your body is or how little your body is either. You can be a massive guy or a tiny, skinny old lady. And that old lady may be able to handle a lot more cannabinoids than the big guy. Yeah. And it just depends on your personal makeup. So cannabis medicine is so tailorable so unique to the individual and that's why you can't just go here here's a one-to-one off you go because some people have a lot of trouble with thc some people can't have a milligram and they're like oh i can feel it and some people are like i'm on 150 milligrams a day plus multiple vaporizers and it's not helping me one thing uh this is like a stereotype maybe i've noticed personally women can actually take cannabis a little more than men have you ever found that with uh, patients, like in terms you, of you know, I haven't you know done the statistics and gone through all that because I'm too busy actually treating people. But <laughs> generally, I'd say yes. You know, yeah. I generally I'd say there's a lot of women out there that are t- as patients, you know, who are previously cannabis naive or never touched mm-hmm. cannabis before, who can take massive doses that would put most of thinking? most of your recreational hard smokers to shame. Well, you you know, I've got little old ladies that are on hundreds of milligrams of THC a day. And getting on with it fine, you know, it's a bit expensive for them, but can handle it really well. So I'd probably say, yeah, you know, and the negative reactions you get from women are a lot less, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think that might be to do with, I don't know, coping mechanisms as a, as a male. Mm. You know, if you get anxiety, how do you respond to that anxiety? A woman will be more emotionally connected to her anxiety, maybe, and, you know, talk to her friends or seek something out, whereas a male may turn aggressive may get manic or you know um psychotic you know so there seems to be a little bit more of that on the male side as well i, I think. know it's um not completely uniform but isn't the the kind of old idea out there that um women have like higher pain thresholds in general yeah uh, there is that you know and, and it's the whole um more connectedness because of you know birthing children mm. and going through that whole process i mean that puts pain into a whole new perspective it's like yeah, it's births at the top of your pain list and then everything is underneath. So once you've had a nuts, you know. Yeah. It's about here, birthing. <laughs> yeah. Once you've had a kid, nothing worries you. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is very interesting to me. Um There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. Where to next? Well, <clears throat> Where I kind of, I get interested in terms of where Australia is heading in medicinal cannabis, it's like, do you think it's going to eventually get to a recreational market here? Yeah. How far away do you think that could be? Within 10 years. Within 10 years? Yeah. That's kind of Maybe a lot pick. quicker. Maybe yeah. a lot quicker. I mean, it's obviously hard to tell. Um, it depends on, you know, a lot of, lot of factors. That's uh, but as more and more countries go fully legalized from medical to recreational legalization i mean it opens the pathway up more um when the states get yeah, that's gonna be changes problem. over their federal law you know that then we're not bound by any conventions then it's mm. like well we can do what we like really here in australia yeah um the un's already kind of said yeah un's un's changed the scheduling mm. you know so um we've changed the scheduling of cbd in australia yeah, following true. that un advice um so cbd when it's got less than 2% of any other cannabinoids in it, uh, is technically classified as Schedule 3, meaning over-the-counter from a pharmacist now. Oh, right, wow. But there's none available yet. Right. Yeah, right. There will be some in the next Probably 12 months. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll be there. Um, so times are changing, which is really exciting. It is, yeah. isn't it? Like, we're all a part of this now, which is great. What's it like being at the forefront of an industry like that? It's um, it's great. It's really rewarding. I love my job. I love. I actually, I've never loved my job before. <laughs> I've done a lot of jobs, and um, I love going to work now. I love helping people, That's but there's cool. also a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of because one slip and everything could kind of come unraveled, right? There's just so much jurisdiction. There's so much rules and regulations that have to be complied with, and um, you know, we've got for, put it in perspective. That there's five doctors in in Plant Med Clinic. We've got about 15 admin staff below them just to keep up with wow. taking calls, 
putting in paperwork, receiving paperwork back. I mean, by the time... You're number three to one. Yeah, totally. By the time you um, get your medicine in your hand, it's been touched or virtually touched at least 20 to 30 times. Wow. You know, by producers, admin staff, the doctors, the TGA. pharmacists, the TGA, used to be Queensland Health as well, but they've yeah. sort of stepped aside, you know. So there's a lot of bureaucracy and mm. um, rules involved. So keeping in line with all them is something that I obviously find really important. Uh, I don't break any rules because they're there for a reason. Right. And um, it works as a system for us. So we, we just work with that system. And I was watching a really interesting podcast about succeeding in the cannabis space um, from Canada. And it's probably about five-year-old video, but it sort of makes it more relevant for us here now in Australia. And there was a, a I'm not, I can't remember the guy, but it's a really respected business entrepreneur um, who was talking and he's like, get used to it. The industry you're in is regulated. It's going to be regulated till the day you die. Mm. So get used to it. Even if it goes recreationally legalized, it's still regulated. Sure. So there'll still be rules to comply with. So there'll still be licenses to get. And how we shape that, you know, on, on the positive side, I think that although, you know, a lot of people complain about the regulations, the government's actually been really good and they actually do listen to people like myself and other bodies who are suggesting ways that we take this forward. It's not just, no, we're going to set the rules like this and that's it. Okay. It's like, you know, they are listening to they're us. they're in the dark, really. They have no yeah. idea how to treat this. It's, it's too much. No idea. I mean, we're using a borrowed system. The SASB system is yep. a system which already existed pre-cannabis and right. it's really for any imported medication or device. So... Um, vaporizers are considered a medical device. Nebulizers have to go through this system. So mm. it's tacked on to the side of another system. Um, but that's how we stand. Yeah. And we just play with those rules. How do you feel about like an agency for cannabis existing in the future then to regulate this kind of activity? So it's not like yeah. a TGA thing. I mean, you know, it's a good idea. Um, and it just depends on what system of regulation. You know, I was involved mm. in conversations with the Thai government um, okay. back in 2018 when they were developing their legalization policy and they actually took quite a few of my suggestions on board when I see their policies as it's been written. <laughs> wow. It influenced the country. That's it really does. Cool. It feels really good, you know, and they've chosen to do things like allow um, population to grow a couple of plants and use utilize that in the medicine process. Awesome. You know? So, you know, that's something, it depends how you want to develop these systems. Yeah. Mm. Canberra, you know, <clears throat> in their recreational decriminalized sort of sense, you can have, I think, three plants in your Two house. Two plants per person, up to four in a household. Yeah, so... Outside only. Yeah, so that that's a step, except they're going to get pinched all the time. That's mm. what's happened. Yeah. Like, there's actual <laughs> I mean, that's obvious. So that, that's the government not looking into the reality of the situation. Yeah. Sure. But they don't know. Yeah, mm. that's mm. it. So we've got to give them benefit of the doubt. They are there. And, um, it's very true. You're like, yeah. you know, we've had uh, politicians, uh, even Michael Pedersen, the guy who, who kind of, an ACT. yeah, mm. and, and in particular, they they seem really well-meaning and well-intentioned, mm. but like he's never smoked weed and he's not part of the community and he hasn't been on the medical program or anything like mm. that. None of it is like a personal fight for him. It's more about well, my constituents ask for this and I could And that's a it. good politician, right? Yeah. Someone listens to their constituents. So it doesn't matter what he personally believes, he listens to his constituents. Right. And also like defers to experts, servants. you know, yeah. like the fact that he's willing to listen to people like you on mm. this question, it's important because he's willing to acknowledge that he doesn't know the first thing on this really. Mm. So that's, it's, it's cool, you know. Times are definitely changing. It's very yeah. exciting. <laughs> yeah. One thing that uh, I read about, I think it was last week or the week before, there's a bit of statistics thrown around about the approvals going through. We're getting like 9,000 a month through the TGA now. Um, at least, yeah. At least. But it's actually young men that are leading the charge with flower prescriptions. There you go. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, that's kind of the culture that's being built within the recreational space. And now the young boys... I mean, myself kind of included, we're looking for, you know, that high quality, non-PGR guaranteed quality. Where I'm kind of leaning with it is more about the vaporizers, actually. With medicinal cannabis, we are absolutely encouraged to use vaporizers. It's on our prescription, it says vaporize, you know, half a gram twice a day, which is kind of the funniest prescription I think I've ever read. Most, most flour is self administered self-dose it doesn't mm. almost doesn't matter what i write on the script yeah because yeah. they, they they can do what they please behind 
What I was going to ask is, is there actually cause for concern regarding, you know, bong smoking, um, joint smoking, or, you know, pipes, if they so choose, I don't know why. I guess combustion. Combustion, you know, like, is that something that could maybe be thrown in our faces a little bit down the line? Well, you know, I have had um, a patient who got uh, investigated by the police for some reason. Oh, really? And the only charge was for a bong, for an implement. So bongs obviously aren't, um, they're not covered by the TGA. They're not covered by the TGA. <laughs> no. So the only there's only two models of vaporizer which are covered by the TVA technically as a medical device. Oh, wow. Um, so technically, you know, you, we can't as doctors we're not meant to promote smoking. So and I don't promote smoking because it's mm. bad for your lungs, right? Mm. It makes you cough. It creates yep. mucus. It's not worse for cancer, but it definitely is worse for your lungs. Mm. And anyone who's smoked cones for 30 or 40 years, they're not in the best shape respiratory-wise. So definitely vaporizers are the better option. Yeah. Whether they need to be regulated as they are, it's kind of, once again, an inherited thing. Oh, that's medicine, a medical device. You need to authorize a medical device. Unfortunately, it puts a lot of expense. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the vaporizers that are approved... They're are, not cheap. They're high quality, but they're six to six to $900. Yeah, because they approve... Um the stores in Bickle one, the Volcano and the Mighty, but Mighty. you need to get the medical version of it, not the actual, so, I don't know, what's retail store. This is a funny one because, you know, um, I'm not a stickler for this particular rule. Mm. Um, you, you're meant to get a SASB approval for your vaporizer. That, that's the, the rule, all right? So if you don't have one, are you going to get in trouble? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Like who's going to police it? The police know what a bong is. The vaporizers are below. Oh, I suppose that's okay. You know, so, and the, the price point is the main point for me because, you know, you can get an adequate vaporizer for 150 bucks, right? Yeah. That'll do the trick. Most people don't have 600 bucks to spend on a vaporizer. Absolutely. Yeah, so... On top I, of medicine costs. On top of medicine costs too. I mean, a good quality vaporizer is worth it. You get a slightly better extraction rate of medicine from your, from your plant. But I put in an approval for someone who wanted an approval for a Mighty Medic the other day. And obviously the SASB hasn't had many requests for this. Yeah, right. Because they asked me for the product information. Wow. Yeah, so it may be the first one they've had, you know. (laughs) That is amazing. Um, It's kind of weird because if they had more available products on that listing of SASB then they could maybe even enforce that rule or try to, but... I don't think it needs to be listed. I don't think vaporizers doesn't. need to be listed. It's yeah, a device. I it's, it's, I agree. it's like, you know, it's like Do a... Do we need to put a dropper on there, you know? It's, it's, yeah. it's an instrument yeah. rather than... Yeah, exactly. Um, but the rules are the same as with pharmacy. So they haven't changed any rules um, for the cannabis industry. And that's the, you know, people always ask, are these meds going to get on the ARTG or be paid for by Medicare? It's a long way off if it's going to happen. And that's because the same rules apply for any medicine. If you bring a medicine into Australia, yep, you can register it. That'll cost you a certain amount of money and time and Mm. make sure you've done the studies. And then if you wanted to get onto the payment for Medicare side of things, you have to then prove that that medicine is better or equivalent and at a cheaper cost than a currently used medication. That's hard with a pharmaceutical, like... That's hard to compete against Endone mm-hmm. uh, and Panadine Fort, which you get for $6 a packet or right. even unsubsidized are about 30 or 40 mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more bang for buck in there that, I There could be I an suppose. argument, though, about how codeine affects people negatively. There's a lot of negative side, side effects. effects and there's a massive um, accidental overdose problem yeah. on pharmaceutical for opiates sure, in Australia. Sure. Yep. So there's many arguments against it and for cost-wise, but the reality of the rules remains the same. Yeah, true. So I can't see that... Anything getting get subsidized, subsidized quickly. Mm. No subsidized buds is coming soon. No, not coming soon. But there are a few private insurers that are helping cover a little bit of the scripting costs. I have seen that around. Yeah, like yep. a lot of the knock fifty bucks off or something like that. A lot of the, or, uh, quite a lot of the private health companies will give you fifty dollars off a script. That's great. Up to you know your cap for the year, three hundred, four hundred dollars, yeah. which is better than nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and it helps out. Um, people on the NDIS. Um, there are ways you can get your medicine paid for. I've got a handful of patients who, basically, if you need to get a really strongly worded letter from, I'll give you one, once you got your approvals, but also from another specialist, mm-hmm. in regards to, I've tried every other medication, it's not working, that, that specialist believes that it's important. So, um, 
Yeah, you, you can get your NDIS to pay for it too. So yeah, there's lots of little ways around it. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit about costs. And I think the biggest thing people talk about with the medicinal program in Australia is cost. Now, Especially for consultation. Consultation and all that. But see, I'm on the program. And I mean, granted, I'm a little better off than maybe your average Joe in Australia. Um, especially some, especially cause I don't need so much medication, mm-hmm. right? Like that's my cost, but it, you do hear of patients who do need to spend one to $2,000 a month for their medicine on mm-hmm. the medicinal program. Um, how would you address the concerns regarding cost, regarding consultations and medicine? Like, you know, we had the question, why is plant med so expensive? Yeah. So, um, well, a lot of it is the backend admin. And a yeah. lot of it is the skill that you're also getting. You know, uh, you come to a specialist doctor in cannabis, they're going to give you specialist treatment and understanding. Of, you know, we don't just give out a one-to-one oil. We, we'll give you out a CBD oil, a THC oil, and you might have multiple ch- choices of, uh, or strains or chemovars of buds to choose from so that we don't gain tolerance. We can rotate. Mm-hmm. We can use sativas in the day, indicas at night. So we provide that specialization. Um, so the consult fees cover basically the doctor and the admin and the business running costs right um the, then at plant med you know we we have the ability luckily to dispense to our patients so i'm the medical director there and it's i have a rule that we maintain these medicines as cheaply as possible you know and still run a business yeah mm. so you'll find that your medicine costs at plant med will be cheaper mm. than a general pharmacy yeah you're con- mm. I've, for me personally because uh, i've done my research Right, I've seen plant meds a little higher on the consult costs, but I did notice you actually get more time with the doctor. Yeah. So it's like that consult cost, while it is higher, you are getting a little more um, one-on-one time. Because like I've known people that have gone, I won't name the clinic, they're just up the road, but mm. um, they've gone there and they've gotten their prescription, gotten it in a day, and then it's kind of, they have no follow-up, there's none of that. They're just like, oh, okay, it's someone who wanted flour, they've gotten their flour, come back in two weeks, you can get some more flour. Mm. But there's absolutely really nothing about dosing, nothing really about their conditions, none of that. Yeah. Um, and granted, a little cheaper, but their actual medicine medicine cost, higher. Much higher, right? Yeah. And it's the medicine that really adds up on your fees, yeah, at least time. personally. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, I, I have a term for that type of doctor. I call it a churner. <laughs> and you're just churning through processes and you're just stamping, okay? Yeah, right. And it's not using any medical skill. Right. We don't churn at Plant Med. You know, it's, it's tailored to you. Mm-hmm. It's tailored to the patient every time. And that, those numbers you quoted, $2,000. Some people do have bills like that, but they're utilizing a lot of cannabis or they're epileptic normally and yeah. they're using a lighting a lot of CBD. The average pricing for most patients is about $250 a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? I, I find mine's, I think, about maybe $350. So yeah. it's not too bad. Yeah. It like, is definitely affordable if you budget for it. It's one of those things. It's, it's a thing if it works. You know, if you're on 15 different other medications before you get there and then after a few months you're on five, well, fifth those other 10 that's money in your pocket yeah um so you can and if it works you, you'll make it work mm-hmm. but i think you know one of the important things is how much does it cost say what's an ounce on the street i, I have no idea of right. good quality it cannabis. absolutely depends right since covid pricing has definitely skyrocketed mm. so is we, quality so is quality though funnily enough quality's gone up mm. right pricing has skyrocketed we used to get ounces three four hundred bucks normally 350 for a strain mm. um pretty good quality now four to 600 right some really really strong flowers like beautiful flowers 600 an ounce and it's that's a bit absurd because when i look at my medicinal you pay it's cost me like 450 yeah we do um our our standard most you know standard pricing is 420 for the 30 grams uh, and that'll be of a 20 to 22 percent high quality medicinal strain excellent um it's perfectly trimmed you know there's no pgr it's it's beautiful time as well consistent yeah yeah, probably my only letdown with the medicinal because they put them in tubs and all of that you don't get that freshness that you would maybe when you get a bag um, because they might have been sitting in that tub for two three months and that that's kind of because of the import reliance we've got in australia at the moment you know um with there's a a few companies coming online growing in brisbane and in australia tasmania western australia um new south wales everywhere victoria and as these companies come online it's a local product so it hasn't been sitting in transit 
for however long. Hasn't yeah. been sitting in storage in Canada for how long before it even gets on the plane. <laughs> that big issue at the start of the year with the shortage from Canada, like how long was it on the tarmac for? Maybe like three months? Yeah, then? that's right. I mean, because of yeah, the COVID, no planes flying. Um, there was a shortage there for a while, but that's been rectified now. And yeah, supplies solid at the moment in Australia. Yeah. Very solid. One thing I think that disappoints me that I've seen in Australia is we have companies here growing medicinal cannabis, but it's actually not being sold to Australian patients. It's going overseas. Frustrates me as well. Isn't that a, like, what? What do you mean? Like So that's one of the advantages for producers to set up in Australia is that we have very, we're medically legalized so we can legally export mm. and we have amazing quality control. So we have a thing called GMP, uh, which means making things the same as you do with pharmaceutical pills to so that level right. of cleanliness and standard and reproducibility. So when you got that stamp, that product going overseas is worth top dollar. Wow. Uh, and obviously not every country in the world can export cannabis. So a lot of the big producers from Canada, um, Israel, the States have got their finger in the pie over here. They might've been, you know, superficially interested in the Australian market, but mm -hmm. really they're not. Mm -hmm. um, there was one on the news the other day. I think I was part of the little news article. Um, mm. There's a big grow facility happening out in, uh, near Toowoomba. Armadale. Toowoomba. Near Toowoomba, yeah, that's huge, right. The biggest in the world, I think, or Southern Hemisphere, one or the other. Yeah, it's supposedly the plan to be the biggest facility in the world. But that's obviously going to produce a lot more cannabis than it's going to be used in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So their markets export. They're situated next to an international airport. So I wouldn't have seen that export. like five years ago when it was first legalized. That would have been a weird idea. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's, yeah, it will come to Australian market, but they've got their eye on the export dollar because that's unlimited. Yeah. The Australian population is only 20 million. Yeah. 25, uh, yeah. 10% cannabis use, maximum of 2.3 million users in Australia. So it's a big world. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, frustrating for patients, I'm sure, when their supply is limited and they have to deal with that. And then they hear about the biggest uh, cannabis producers opening up in Toowoomba. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, supply is not limited in Australia. That's the thing. There's plenty of cannabis true. in the medical market. True, um, true. You got to get your finger in the door, but there's plenty of ways to do that. There's, you know, your local GPs, there's clinics like ourselves. Actually, maybe let's go into that a little bit, mm. right? Uh, so a lot of people do wonder how the hell do they get onto the medicinal program and they really think they can't get it. But I think most people who are self-medicating with cannabis are probably quite eligible. Um, most mm, of the time, sure. maybe they haven't even identified what they're actually using it for. I think that's a really common one, whether it's anxiety, depression, insomnia, pain, whatever it happens to be. Mm. What would you recommend uh, to someone who is maybe on the green market, as you call it, mm. um, to do if they are interested in coming into the medical space? Well, it, it's really simple. You know, um, go and see your doctor. Mm -hmm. Uh, or go and see a specialist clinic like ourselves if you want that more sort of specialist treatment. The only rule about allowing access to medicinal cannabis in Australia is that you must have some sort of pre-existing condition or ailment. And that condition, um, you must have tried some sort of conventional medication that either hasn't worked or has been discontinued because of, say, side effects. Mm -hmm. So... Sleeping pills. Sleeping pills. Um, Back pain, you've taken yeah. a Panadine Fort, you know, sleeping, you've had a diazepam. So yeah. most people have fulfilled this, you know, 99% of the population can fulfill it. And if you can't, well, at, at my clinic, I know what I do. If someone hasn't gotten to them and they don't tell me they have, I say, well, what we're going to do is I'll just prescribe you some X medicine. Mm -hmm. You test it out, see if that works for you. If it works for you, great. You won't need me. If not, come back in a few weeks and we'll continue the process. And then you fulfill the requirements. Okay, great. So... One problem that people do have is their GP is just going to know. So mm. that they, the, the rules have changed a little, actually. Mm -hmm. So GP um, opinion can't, can't be swayed. It's like if your GP just says no, right. that's his opinion. He doesn't yeah. have to do anything he doesn't want to. He doesn't have yep. to prescribe you endone if he doesn't want to either. Correct. You know? So that's their personal opinion. But you don't need a referral from your GP to access medicinal cannabis. So okay. you go to another doctor and say, I want to get some medicinal cannabis for my sleep. Uh, and they might be willing to do it. You know, you come to the Platt Med Clinic, we prefer some sort of referral or summary from your doctor so we've got that background information and, and it's easy for us and we've got someone to write letters to like we mm -hmm. do in a normal medical situation, but it's not needed. 
So you can self-refer. You can just come to, you can ring the clinic and book in. Mm-hmm. Um, you could always ask your doctor for a medical history too, right? That's right. So if your doctor flat out refuses to give you a referral or prescribe you medication, you can say, well, can I please have a printout of my health summary? It's called medical history or health summary. That's perfect. Bring that into Plant Med and that gives us all the medications you've trialed that you've had before, yeah, your previous okay. history, what symptoms and diseases you've got. And um, then we've got a letter, someone to send a letter back and tell that your regular GP how you're going and maybe it's time to reduce these unneeded medications, which is another big thing, I think. You know, cannabis is not really a friend of the pharmaceutical industry or the alcohol industry. Right. If you look at any jurisdiction where it's been medically or recreationally legalized, alcohol use reduces, opiate uses reduce, pharmaceutical profits and alcohol profits go down. Mm. So that's one of the reasons um, that the things are the way they are. But... Yeah. Do you think doctors prescribing pharmaceuticals might be involved in that kind of broader, let's call it conspiracy? No. No. N- not not consciously. Okay. You cool. know, it's just it's just the way that the medical system works, the way okay. that doctors have been trained to think and prescribe. Fair. Um, doctors, you know, everyone thinks they're really amazingly high intelligence people, and look, they are fairly intelligent people, but mm. they're just following a set of rules that essentially, and yeah. and um. um Treatment plans. Have you got a cough? Yes or no. Go left or right. Mm-hmm. And have you got a fever? Yes or no. Right. Flow charts. That's the word I'm looking for. So you basically follow flow charts. And these are okay. set systems of flow charts. Have you got pain? Try aspirin. Yep. Doesn't work. Try panadine 4. Doesn't work. Try endone. Doesn't work. Try polexia. Doesn't work. Try gabapentin. Doesn't work. All these things will be familiar words to people with chronic pain. Right. You know? right. So, um, so you're problem solvers. Problem solvers, that's right. Yeah, so you can have a problem solver or you can have someone that just gives you a stamp. It depends what you want, you know, and mm. a lot of people just want a stamp. Yep. If you want a stamp, go to the cheap, consult people, get what you want and get on with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want treatment, go to someone who knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. that's why I look at it. Hmm, it's interesting. Yeah, um, I so <laughs> what I was kind of thinking about there is how, how many years did you have to study for, John? I was at university for seven. Seven? Yeah. Um, and then you have like your residency, internship and all that. Yeah. Like. Then you have like two or three years in the hospital system so, and then you're in the public system and then you can branch out from there and specialize. So yeah. about 10 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. All about 10. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still so, studying now. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to like tell our audience is if you're complaining about the fees, just, just remember a doctor has studied for 10 years, right? Oh no. Well, that sucks. Bye. Um, We'll just continue. A a doctor has studied for 10 years. If you think their consult fees are high, you got to really not, you got to look into how much has gone into them to even be able to prescribe you that. Mm. I think that's a really important thing. When you think of a plumber or a carpenter or whatever. What's their call out fee? You know, Mm. how much are they charging you just to come to your house? Especially if they're not subsidized by a government program Mm. to do it. I mean, yeah. So, you know, Dave maybe studied their apprenticeship for three, four years, however long it takes. I think it's normally three, right? And then they've maybe got another five years experience. That's still not even equivalent to your 10 years potentially Mm. just studying before you even become a doctor. So Mm, I think that's something people really need to consider is there's a lot of work just in becoming a doctor and then choosing to actually go down not maybe the mainstream mainstream Mm. path, right? Like I'm not going to be a surgeon. I'm not going to be a GP. I actually want to help people with cannabis. Mm. You know, you kind of get put into a bit of a box there where you're probably looked at as, I don't want to say like a joke of the medical space, not at all, but more, you're a little on the outside of... You're stigmatized media. like the rest of the cannabis community. Is. Totally. <laughs> yeah, t- totally. There's definitely that stigma there. Um, it's there as strong as ever, but it's weakening. Yeah, you know, um, perspectives, perspectives of other doctors change. We've got doctors who are dead against cannabis. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they straight out... I've had patients scrumple up the plant med referral form from the patient, throw it in the bin and say, I'm not giving you that. Oh my god! Which is... Don't even start me. That's disgusting. <laughs> But um, that is changing. And those doctors which were dead against, well, we still took their patients. Mm. We fixed their patients and sent mm. them back to them and said, can you help reduce their medications now? 
And then they've changed their opinion. They'll send us another patient, you know. That's cool. Um, specialists especially have been doing that as well and GPs to plant med. And, and I find that as a really big compliment to the company mm. that we, we got that changing attitude now. So, yeah, 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 I mean, I've got specialist psychiatrists that are specializing in Tourette's and mm -hmm. ADHD that send me children. Um, we've got neurologists for all sorts of regions, epilepsy, Parkinson's, um, we've got spinal surgeons, all sorts of people refer to cannabis because cannabis treats everyone. Yeah. yeah. I really love some of the... Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't discriminate. I've no. watched some of the seminar stuff that you've done for, I think it was the uh, Australian Cannabis Summit. Mm -hmm. You had a video on there, which was about, I think it was autism, ADHD and Tourette's and mm -hmm. all they, they all kind of like work differently in terms of their neurodivergence yeah. and their relationship with the ECS. Yeah. And I guess how cannabis impacts people who um, have those conditions, mm -hmm. live with them. Yeah, it's really interesting actually because the ADHD brain or the ASD brain will, different areas of the um, frontotemporal cortex <laughs> yeah. light up. So in a normal person, I think the inside lights up Whereas on an ADHD person, the outside will light up when you give them CBD. So wow. the way that that patient's brain is responding is different. Yeah. Um, ASD, ADHD, OCD, all these conditions are associated with lower than normal circulating levels of endocannabinoids or anandamide and 2-AG. Wow. So that's really obviously really relevant as well. Yeah, I've got a really strong interest in that area. Um, I've got, I treat lots of children. Cool. Um, with these conditions and with great results, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's it, amazing because, um, you know, you look at how autism and other related kind of behavioral conditions were treated maybe even 20 years ago. And a lot of it was based upon like behaviorism and the idea that you have to mm. kind of apply this um, broader social theory onto the kid who doesn't understand. It doesn't it. work like that, no. Yeah, if you're using something like cannabis, they can have a different developmental trajectory. Exactly, and a lot of... People in the recreational market, I'd say, would be undiagnosed ADHD, OCD, autism, Tourette's. Right. Japanese yeah. word is otaku, you know, so people <laughs> that are really obsessed and introverted, yet sure. really intelligent. Yep. I mean, that's like high-functioning ASD, Asperger's, autism, OCD. There's mm -hmm. all these traits in, involved in these people. And adults that get to that point, adulthood, uh, often self-medicate with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And I've got lots of oh, adult okay. patients who come back. And they've been having great results with cannabis, but we fine-tune that for them. So we add yeah, in some great. oils, we add in some CBD, they've got a much better result. And their, their flower or bud juice will reduce, you know, yeah. um, which is a big thing with when you add in different modes of administration. It's not all about inhaling. You use oral modes as well, mm. and you get longer durations of action, you get higher plasma levels consistently. Yeah. So the way cool. I explain it to patients is you're already halfway there. Right. So someone who comes into me, and it happens all the time, you know, like, yep, 15, 20 bongs a day, I do two ounces a month, mm -hmm. you know, um, you don't need that much. You really Once don't. you've got yourself <laughs> balanced and sorted by the doctors, yeah. you don't need two ounces a month. You know, some people do still use that, but most people don't require that It's much. kind of interesting how recreational use, it has this, like you say, an overlap with medicinal use, but in many ways, because people are winging it in that space they can end up using a lot more just because they're trying to cope with the symptoms of their own self-medication in a sense. That's right, you can have side effects. <laughs> yeah, there's definite side effects to overusing cannabis. It's kind of difficult because if you're trying to do it independently, you can miscalculate like just what you're dealing with in the sense that, oh, maybe you're having those negative side effects and you feel like the way to fix it is to go even further in on it. Like Exactly, and then you get more and more problems and you end yeah. up psychosis and I get a call from the emergency department. That's it. Mm. It's like, how do we, um, oh, I guess coming from a doctor who's in the kind of official space, how do we get um, that education going for people who maybe haven't entered directly into the medicinal space? Well, you know, sites like the ACS, you know, online, online education, look past the bong. Look yeah. past the end of your bong. Should we, Look start, we should write an article. Look past the bong. Look past the bong we'll at your computer it. screen. We'll and We'll quote you. Yeah, and, and find that information, you know. And, you know, you don't have all the information in terms of strength and stuff, but you can estimate and, sure, you, and yeah. you can work out average doses. You know, average dosing is really hard because different routes of administration, but I've mm. rule of thumb worked out an average oral dose, which is equivalent to, uh, say, a, a small one paper, one person joint 
is about 15 milligrams of THC orally. Okay. And that sort of also works with the amount of oral oil that will put most adults to sleep Thank well you. at night. Cool. So that's like my standard dose. There's no such thing, but a standard dose is about 15 milligrams. Where you start, really? Well, you start lower than that. You start, oh, yeah. you st I okay. start at two milligrams yeah, if, if you haven't tried yeah, cannabis before. Tried, absolutely. But usually you'll end up about that or higher depending on pain requirements and other mm -hmm. things. Yeah. One thing, um, kind of coming into that, people who haven't tried, um, I think of my parents, actually. Mm. They're, uh, they're people who absolutely could benefit from cannabis. My dad dealt with stress, back pain, neck pain throughout his whole life, and he's like a constant cigarette smoker. <laughs> God, I, like, I'm so thankful for that in some ways, because I'm like, I've never tried a cigarette in my mm, life, just because I've seen my parents trying to quit forever. Yeah. My mum, however... She's got, uh, actually, my stepmom and my mum, they both struggle to sleep through the night. And I know THC oil would benefit them, mm, right? Sure. But they have such a fear about actually even trying it because they're like, oh, what if I see things? What if I'm incapacitated the next day? All mm. these things. And I'm like, mum, you're going to be fine. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, cannabis you know, is seen as some like hard psychedelic for a lot of boomers. Uh, to to come back to my parents, though, you know, they're ethnic. I'm first generation Australian. They came from Croatia. Eastern European, you've got that very Slavic mentality going on there. Uh -huh. And the propaganda there was probably even more than what was in the US in a terms of authoritarian policing. Yeah. Well. And it's all about, you know, being productive and on it. Like, you know, you need to give back as much to society without even being, you can't show weakness. It's uh -huh. like the work ethics involved right? too. It yeah. completely changes the mindset. What do you say to those kinds of people? Yeah, look, it's, um, that's a societal thing. It's the way I've been trained. It's, it's the devil's harvest, you know. So <laughs> it, it's, one, it? it's the propaganda that has been produced. And it is yeah. propaganda, you know. Truly. None of these, these things are all fallacies and, and they're not real, you know. Mm. Cannabis won't turn you schizophrenic unless you've got already got it, really, essentially. Mm. So societal expectations are hard to change. My dad's the same, you know. Yeah. He... Um, he can't go there, you know. He, he can't even go to an isolated CBD. Mm. He just because his mind won't let him. So, I educate them. I talk to them, and for those sort of people, it's so important to come to a doctor yeah. because then they feel safe, they feel secure. I educate them that yes, I'm going to read you out a scary list of side effects. Right. Most of them don't happen. Right. If you look on the back of your aspirin packet, there's a scary list of side effects. Most of them don't happen. In fact, cannabis is the safest compound that i know of you know it's safer than tea it's safer than coffee it's certainly safer than all of our other pharmaceutical medications you give me coffee i'm bouncing off the wall exactly exactly so yeah it's education it's making that person feel comfortable I'll it's making what, that John. person feel like you as a doctor know what you're doing and have got their best interest in, at heart and if you looked at the demographic of people that came to plant med it's not what you think mm. You know, it, majority elderly, middle-aged elderly women. Um, we have, you know, all ranges, all ranges from, you know, one year up to 99. Yeah. But it's more, when you're older, you've got more things wrong with you. That's, that's <laughs> what it comes down to, you know. Um, when you're young, you're just having cannabis for fun. But yeah. often when you hit 40, fall apart 40s, whatever people want to call it, <laughs> things start hurting, or even earlier, you know, things start hurting, you, you, your chronic diseases will start to build up, you'll get problems with them, neurodegenerative diseases are getting worsened by that point, by that time. Mm. So you need it more. So it's more of an elderly population and education, you know. Mm. And never force people. Yeah, um, And just say, look, if, if you notice anything happening, you can just stop your medication, give us a ring. We've got... um. One of the things that we do provide for our extremely expensive fees at Plant Med is um, great service. You know, so we've got a nurse on call, or not on call, a nurse on duty all the time. We have complimentary nurse checkups at three weeks. Your doctor will see you once a month until you're sorted. Usually, that's all sorted by three months, and then you go into a maintenance program. You know, and the maintenance program where you just chat to a nurse, extremely cheap, so forty dollars. Yeah, right. So um, yeah, don't do your numbers. You know, in terms of money and um, educate yourselves in terms of societal lies. Mm. That's a good point. I mean, especially for people who, you know, they may not be fully convinced and it might be hard for them to do their own research online um, because of their own biases and stuff like that. It could be very important to see someone like you 
Yeah, for sure. And and even when you go online and you look stuff up, you see biases online. Mm, you know, from other people. In Austra- but even in Australia, if you you re- research cannabis, you're not going to get all pro cannabis articles. Right, you're going right. to get a lot of negative articles. Yeah, that's something as well. I've noticed. Mm. Um, you know, there's this kind of weird paranoia online about. I don't know, like the lack of evidence, quote unquote, when it comes to using cannabis. Like people seem to think that after years and years of actual study and looking at it internationally, we still don't have enough for there's so GPs much, there's to. So much evidence. And and this is what I'm I'm really I'm really concerned that what we're seeing is a kind of. I don't know, like obscuring of the facts in a certain way, because I know that the ECS and that cannabis is a very complex thing and that there's a lot of variability there. Mm. But like you'd assume that if it had been approved by the TGA 150 different times, that there's something to it and that there's the, kind of a the, medicinal the, the, That's like another fallacy, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's heaps of evidence. There's heaps of human studies. There's unbelievable amount of animal studies yeah but we haven't been able to do these studies for the last 80 100 years because of the legalization status of the states who have imposed right. their regime on the rest of the world so they're just being re-emerged you know as a study topic and there's heaps going on right now cool but there's a lot of evidence and and if you say there's none you got to look up google you know you yep. google scholar go to pubmed type in cannabis in pubmed Perfect. see how much comes up amazing amount of um, literature out there. So you're saying that these that statement's kind of just outdated at this point. It's it's part of the propaganda. It's part mm. of the lies that have been told True. to us as a population for four generations. Yeah. I mean, you can't be expected to know something that was told was wrong for mm. your great your great great grandmother, your grandmother, your dad, and now you. And yeah. if you've got kids, that's five generations that have been told one thing. When in fact, oh, turns out, a little aside. <laughs> The U.S. government has a patent on CBD and THC for its neuroprotective qualities. Wow. Yet, it's still classified as a dangerous drug, Schedule 1 in the States, which means the same as Schedule 8 here. It's basically yeah, heroin or meth. That's right. And it's definitely not Definitely tasty. not. Uh-huh. Um, we've hit about an hour, so I'm looking to wrap up. I kind of want to just wrap up on maybe like a really nice positive note of where do you see the industry? Like, what would you like to come out of the medicinal side We've talked a little bit about um, patients maybe being able to grow their own in certain areas. Is that something you would like to see? Um, and do you ever see Australia maybe getting into a dispensary model like the States, how they went that medicinal route? Um, just kind of give us a vision of the future. Future well, of cannabis. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we haven't got a crystal ball, but I can have a guess for you. Yeah, this you know? is kind of your hunch, right? Yeah, so I think... I think we're going to go into a more legalized model. What I would like to see, a recreationally legalized model, I think medicinal cannabis and using it medicinally in clinics is still valid because Mm -hmm. people will have ailments. Uh, And then people that want to access um, cannabis through a a shop essentially can do that. Uh, And I think that's logical and safe for society and will make us a lot of money through taxation. So I think that's a logical way for our government to go. in regards to people growing their own cannabis, I think we have we should have a right to. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, something's like three to five plants a person. You're allowed to grow tomatoes, but not everyone does. Mm-hmm. You know. So and you and not everyone can grow a good tomato. Oh either. man, I keep trying. Exactly. It's so it's not easy to grow good tomatoes. And it's it not really easy isn't. to grow good cannabis either. So yeah. that's the thing people forget. So there's always going to be that place for the industry around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to see things ease up a little in that sense. I'd like to see, um, in the medical sense, I'd like to see it just open up so that it's just a standard script, like mm-hmm. uh, okay. like, a, and it'll still be an Not essay script. Not having to go through TGA. Not having to go through TGA, be able to write a script, um, just like we do for Endone now. Um, I'd like that to happen sooner rather than later, and I think we're on our way. What would make it easier for you um, as a cannabis doctor in the future, like apart from making the script simpler? Yeah, I mean, get rid of a whole bunch of the admin on the back end would be great yeah. for me. <laughs> okay. You know, um, um, because we've just got so many staff doing that on the back end. I think that's one of the main things. But I think, you know, it's, it's a human right. Mm. It's a plant we've grown up and, and evolved with. We should be able to grow it. We should be able to eat it. We should be able to use it as medicine. Um, 
like we can with tobacco or alcohol, it should be a choice for, for a human to make. It's yeah, not yeah. harming them or anyone else. I think that's a fair choice. And that's where I'd like to see it go as soon as we can, you know? That's it. Yeah. That sounds great. Mm. So we'll, we'll see you there soon. <laughs> I was going to ask one more with that. When you say like write a script, um, do you think it should always be towards the product? Like this is more on the flower side, not your okay. oils, right? One thing that kind of mm, mildly frustrates me you have to get approved for the product individually. Mm. Could a doctor, like, what I would kind of prefer to see is like, yes, they can be prescribed X amount of cannabis at maybe some sort of percentage per month, and that's kind of like how much you get. Then you go into the chemist or the pharmacist, and then they maybe help sort you out for what you should actually be given. So, you know, they've got their range of products, and mm. they go, would you like to try this one, this one, this one, this is good for this? I think that's more leaning towards a dispensary model. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's... Yeah, that's something slightly different. I think mm. that's fine if people mm. want to do that. And really, one step short of that will be to just get rid of the TGA system, which yeah. it works fine. Uh, and it gives a lot of knowledge about what's going in and out of the market. Mm. But if they took that step away, then the doctor could just write a script for whatever product was on the market. Right. Be more uh, generic about it, I guess, as well. Well, not more generic, just not have to go through that process. So you can okay. still pick and choose. You, right. You, you, still, you can't write a script. Well, you... Yeah, it's a funny one because it's not quite like aspirin and generic aspirin. Right, Because right. aspirin and generic aspirin are exactly the same thing. Okay, I see. Yeah. Um, so, so um, Baba Kush is not the same as um, jelly beans. Because they know? could have different like... Um, Very different so effects. Different yeah, it's like, you know, you send someone off with a script for 10 grams of cannabis to the chemist mm. for insomnia. They come out with... Um, Jack hair or sativa or sure. something. And even you know, the, the genotypes and phenotypes. It's not going to work. You know? Like they're so, real different. Yeah. In that sense... That's probably the difference between medicinal and the recreational dispensary model. In the dispensary model, you, you're choosing your own thing. Okay. A bit of help by the pharmacist, you know. But medicinal is you're being prescribed a medicine. Mm. Yeah. And you don't need to have knowledge of that. So we'll probably end up with a blend of both, I'd imagine. Um, I'd like that too. And then, you know, 20, 30 years time, we could be in a completely different world. It might just be completely, completely legalized and just a normal thing. Yeah. You know, so things that seem kind of impossible and weird right now, like the idea that cannabis could be completely legalized, but that three, stuff can just happen. Four years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This is exactly right. So, it's like it, we yeah. can see this radical change occur and it, it can seem ridiculous to us sitting here. The now. speed of change is amazing to me. Yeah, me you too. know, um, it really is. Where I've come from, as in the back, of, I started off in a, a harder room from a local pharmacy um, <laughs> and then I moved to a chiropractic clinic and now okay. I'm in our own facility specialized, yeah. specialized and dedicated to cannabis. Um, I can't, I, I can't, years. yeah, it's four years. Four years. Yeah. So I, I can't even thank the universe enough for allowing me this opportunity um, huge, to yeah. represent yeah. and um, I hope I'm doing a, a good job. I reckon we you are, John. smashing it, John. Thank you. <laughs> All righty. I think with that, we're going to call it a night or yeah. a day. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you.